0: I want you to picture someone in your mind right now. I'm going to give you some details, and as I do that, I want you to kind of build a picture in your mind of maybe what this person looks like, who this person might be. Perhaps, as I describe it, you'll have a a particular person in mind that you know. might be even you. I want you to picture a person whose past has been tarnished. Right, past has been tarnished perhaps because of poor decisions that they made. And as a result, they, they carry some baggage along with them. I want you to picture someone who made maybe bad decisions and yeah, is still living with the, the consequences of those decisions. Decisions that perhaps ruined a, a relationship. Decisions that perhaps ruined their life in some respects. I want you to picture a person who, because of that now, has been maybe pushed to the margins of society. Maybe pushed to the margins of family life. Or the life of their friends. They're there, but not always noticed. Do you have someone in mind? Or at least someone that you can picture as you've heard a few of those descriptions that you go, okay, I have a good picture in my mind of what that person is like and who they are. My guess is some of you might not be able to really relate to them. Maybe you have in your mind a fictional character that you read in a book or that you saw in a movie. Right? And as you, you hear of those things, those those descriptions, you go, yeah, this kind of describes this person, but really, I I would have a hard time relating with them. Perhaps some of you, as you hear that description, would be able to relate all too well with the person. Maybe because it's someone you know, maybe you, you hear that description and you'd say, yeah, that's that's me. And I live with the guilt of a tarnished past. I live with the guilt of poor decisions every day. As you picture that person in your mind, it gives you perhaps a glimpse of the woman Jesus was talking to in our gospel lesson. She had a number of strikes against her. She was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were at least by Jewish standards, kind of a half-breed. They had some Jewish blood in them, but had intermingled and intermarried after the, the Babylonian captivity with some of the other people that the Babylonians settled in in the middle of Israel. Their worship kind of reflected that. They had some aspects of the worship of the true God, but they had kind of mixed it with some heathen ideas as well. And so you had this big mix as far as not only their, their lineage, but also just what they believed. So the Jews looked at them as, well, they were detestable. The Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. In fact, if you were a Jew who were in, say, the northern part of Israel and had to get to Jerusalem, say, for one of the festivals at the temple, instead of taking the most direct route, which would have taken you right through Samaria, what you did is you crossed over the Jordan River to the east side of the Jordan, walked down that side, crossed back over the Jordan once you got past Samaria, and then went to Jerusalem. So that not only would you not have to step foot in Samaria, you wouldn't even have to talk to or interact with the Samaritans at all. In her conversation with Jesus, we learned that she had several husbands, and the, the man she was with now wasn't her husband. You can imagine the people in the town in which she lived, they knew that, right? And and so it's no wonder that suddenly in the middle of the day, not a time when people normally went to the well to get water, that this woman comes alone to the well. Because, well, past decisions, foolish decisions, her past was a bit tarnished. And you can imagine some of the guilt and some of the baggage that she carried with her. And so she would come by herself in the middle of the day to get the water that she needed for that day's activities. And it just so happens that one of those days as she went to the well, Jesus, after he had talked to Nicodemus at night, which we heard about last week in John chapter 3, had decided he was going back up to, to the Galilee. Instead of following the perhaps more normal Jewish tradition of crossing over the Jordan, up the east side of the Jordan, then crossing back over when you got up to Galilee, he was walking right through Samaria. In fact, we're told that Jesus, John tells us Jesus had to go to Samaria. In other words, this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman wasn't something that was accidental or coincidental. Jesus had a plan in mind. He knew exactly who he wanted to talk to. And so, as they had been walking, he was tired. His disciples went into town to to find some food, and he sat out by the well, waiting for a particular Samaritan woman to come. And she comes to the well to do her thing, and Jesus simply asks her for a drink of water. And you can imagine then, the surprise on the woman's face. Because not only did Jews and Samaritans normally not associate with others, so this would have been one thing where you look and go, why are you asking me for anything? You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. But for a Jewish man to ask a Samaritan woman for something was completely unheard of. And so Jesus starts talking to her about one of her physical needs. Why she had come to the well in the first place, to get some water. And he uses that discussion about the, the woman's desire for water to talk to her and eventually get to the point where he could talk to her about an even greater need she had. And he got there, didn't he? Like, he, he talked to her about that, that physical water, and he talked to her about he, how he would give her a water that would, well... That would, never, that would dry up her thirst to the point where she would have now eternal life. And she says, well, if yeah, give me some of that because then I don't have to keep coming here and getting water out of this deep well. It saved me a lot of work. And it's then that Jesus confronts her with her sin, right? Go and get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Well, You're right in saying that. In fact, you've had five husbands and the person you're with now isn't your husband. Can you imagine what went on in that what? Second? Second and a half? In which she heard those words coming out of Jesus' mouth? And suddenly sins that perhaps she had been trying to keep quiet. some Sins that, that perhaps had bothered her conscience for a while, but she had managed to kind of tuck back into those parts of her brain so they didn't really bother her much anymore. She really didn't consider suddenly are out there for someone else to see. And she quickly recognizes I can tell you're a prophet. I suppose it's what you'd expect someone to say, huh? When suddenly sin is out there for everyone to see. Right? Someone talks to you about your sin and I can see that you're a prophet now help me right you Jews tell me that the place i have to worship in order to deal with this sin is in jerusalem and jesus takes her to a point where he is able to explain to her that things are changing right that with the coming of the savior things in not only jewish life but just believe belief in the Savior we're going to change. In fact, he says, no longer will, you know, you have to go to a specific place in order to worship. Believers will worship in spirit and in truth. And he begins and he talks to her and says, the the way this works now is, you know that the truth of God's word, you know your sin... And the Savior who's coming is going to save you from your sin. And as the Holy Spirit works through that word proclaimed and touches your soul, what follows is a life of of worship, not so much located around a specific place, but revolving all around the truth of God's word. And the woman understands a bit about what Jesus is talking about, right? He says, yeah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain all this to us. And Jesus says, I who am standing in front of you, am, in, am he. In other words, I am the one God has promised that's beginning to change all of this. I'm the one who has come to forgive your sin. If you Go back to that picture you had in your mind even if you thought of someone else, do you see a glimpse of yourself in that Samaritan woman? Here was a person who was outside of God's family. That would be you and me. Gentiles by birth. Sinners by birth. Born outside of God's family. Right? You'd look and say, she had a past. With a whole bunch of things she wasn't probably all that proud of, things she probably tried to forget, sins that bothered her, guilt that she carried along with her. Sound familiar? My guess is, you and I have probably more than a few sins that lurk in the back of our minds, that no matter how hard we try to forget, are there. Decisions we've made that we still might be paying the consequence for in a hurt relationship. Guilt that we carry along with us, that no matter how many times we put down and say, I'm going to leave this at the cross, for whatever reason we end up walking back and picking it up and carrying it with us a little bit more. You know, you and I aren't that much different than that Samaritan woman, are we? You and I aren't that much different than the Samaritan woman in our need. Jesus came to that specific well to talk to someone who wasn't a Jew like him for a very specific reason, because he knew she had a great need for a Savior. And so he came and he talked to her in order to show her that Savior had come. Her sin was forgiven. In fact, because her sin was forgiven, now... What was what the Savior was going to usher in was a whole new way of being able to worship God, and how was it as a Gentile, as a Samaritan, as a sinner, she was going to benefit from that. In fact, so much so that she was going to have now eternal life because she drank deeply of that water her Savior had offered her. Man, and our Savior comes and does the same thing for you and I, doesn't He? Whether it was in the water of our baptism or as someone proclaimed and shared to us about who Jesus is and what he did for us, the Holy Spirit came into our heart and did the same thing he did for that Samaritan woman. Right? He convinced us that the words we heard and the word God has, has told us in, his, in, in the Bible are not only true, but words in which God gives us life and salvation. We hear about a Savior who comes and forgives our sin and meets our greatest need. Because he takes all that sin from our past. He takes the guilt we carry around. He takes all those poor decisions and he washes them away. It doesn't mean that you and I still might have to deal with some of those consequences. But before God, the sin is gone. Before God, he views us now as his children. He says, this relationship between me and you is is okay. And you see it in how the woman reacted. Like, if you were to continue reading after our gospel lesson, what you would see is that the woman ran back into town and told everyone she met that she had met the one that God had promised to send, the Savior, and that they should come and meet him too. It ended up being that Jesus stayed in that town for three days talking to the people about who he was and what he did, preaching and teaching to them. She was overjoyed. Right? It's that same joy that fills our hearts as we hear about what our Savior did for us, how he forgives our sin, how he satisfies our need, how he gives us eternal life. But think of what that means, especially in a time like this. Where we look all around us and what we see is fear and uncertainty, a bit of confusion and panic. We have a Savior who came to a woman that nobody would have expected him to in order to tell her one thing. That he loved her. And in that love had forgiven her. And took care of her greatest need. In times of uncertainty and fear, Jesus does the same thing for people you wouldn't expect Him to talk to. People like you and me. He comes to us and He tells us the most important thing we could hear I love you. And in that love, I have forgiven you and taken care of your greatest need. And if I've taken care of that greatest need, if I have forgiven you and I loved you enough to come and live and die for you, certainly you can trust my love enough to say, even in the midst of all this confusion, that love isn't going anywhere. I still love you. I'll take care of you. I'll guard and protect you. And in your day of trouble, I will deliver you. What wonderful reassurances from our God, huh? That we have a God who comes for everyone. Jew, Samaritan, Gentile. A a Savior who comes to remind us of just one simple thing. That he loves us. And in that love has forgiven us and taken care of our greatest need. And because of that, any day of our life, We can be certain of his love, of his forgiveness, of his ongoing presence in our life, of his his protection, and of his ultimate deliverance, as one day he gives us eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard and will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunedin Valley Road, about three-quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday School and Bible Class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find this online.